When we meet with veterinarians, there are a few questions we ask that few of them know the answers to. We find that somewhat funny because they are basic things people should know to become financially successful. So today we are going to present you with these common questions that once you're able to answer for yourself, we believe you'll have a lot more clarity on what is crucial to your financial success. So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets. Welcome back to the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. This is your co-host, Tom Seco and CJ Burnett. We're financial advisors that work with veterinarians, practice owners, and the veterinary community across the U.S., and the owners of Florida Veterinary Advisors. Our mission is to provide a different way of thinking to make financial decisions easy so you can spend time doing other things. Make sure to check out all of our other great resources available on our website, such as complimentary financial race CEs, assessments, videos, and articles. You can find them by visiting flvetadvisors.com. And if you're finding our podcast to be helpful, make sure to rate and review us on Apple or Spotify, whichever platform you listen to. I think Spotify requires for you to listen a few episodes to start rating us. We'd really love for you to say something. If not, go to our Facebook page, the Smarter Vet Podcast Facebook page. Show us some love. Drop us a comment. Rate it. Give us a review. We'd really appreciate that because it'll help others know that you care about our show. You love what we have to say uh, and be able to get others knowing about what we're saying. All right. So today we're going to talk about some questions. What I love, I know we all love about questions is oftentimes, Tom, you and I find that people don't even know what questions to ask us. Oh, yeah. That's probably... 100 out of 100 times. It's, uh, yeah, people. Are- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and oftentimes they're scared to ask a question because they're not sure if it's dumb or not. But like in in our world, we just, I know Tom, you and I have adopted that philosophy. There's no such thing as dumb questions. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, we just, can, they're questions, right? We can't, we can't label them. If, if you have a question, we want people to ask it. And in our experience, as we met with clients, here, we're going to go through a few of these questions that we ask clients, not even, so these aren't even, questions that clients ask us, like when we're data gathering, when we're asking people about their financial life, these are some questions we ask them that oftentimes they either have no answer for, like they don't, they don't literally know the answer or they literally have never even contemplated the question. And some, a couple of these questions, Tom and I believe are like mission critical to knowing the answers to, especially if you're wanting to be financially successful, build wealth, build business wealth, build financial wealth, build like lasting wealth, generational wealth. So we're going to go through some of these. And the first one up is actually, uh, this is a personal favorite of mine, Tom. I, I love this question. How much insurance do you Want. This question we find pop up a lot because a lot of people are always asking us, what do I need? Like, what do I need in coverage? And what's so interesting about that question when we have the conversation that it's very hard to really pinpoint what we need, especially when we look at the overall perspective of our, of our entire plan. Because at the end of the day, when we really look at uh, you know auto insurance today, And we're going about saying, hey, look, I've got auto insurance. How much do I need? Most of the time when you go to buy a car or you lease a car, they require for you to have a certain amount of liability or bodily injury. However, that's a requirement that they're saying you need in order to get the car. 
However, when it comes to the overall plan and what it could do to your ability to save money and to your chance to eventually not have to work forever for a paycheck, is that really satisfying what you want it to do? Like, is it something that's going to actually accomplish and do the things you need to do if you were to get into like, let's say a severe car accident? Well, and I think that that goes along the lines of like these, the, a lot of people go, well, how much insurance do I need? Well, when it comes to auto, just thinking out loud here, right? Auto insurance in particular, Mm -hmm. you don't really know. And and I know we've said this multiple times in other episodes, so I'm going to highlight it again because it seems like it's, it's something that's constantly coming up with every client that we have. How much insurance do I need? How much insurance? It's like, we want to eradicate that word need from our, from our vocabulary and replace it with want. How much insurance do I want? I don't know if you get in a really bad car accident, how much do you want? Like, right. do you want enough to protect against the lawsuit that is potentially going to be quite large? Or are you saying, Hey, you know what? I'm willing to take the risk by having a low amount of coverage, right. To save, you know, 15% or more of my premium. Like what, where, where's, and some, some people want like as much insurance as they can get. Some people want as little insurance as they can get. Cause they're really focused on premium. And some people are somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle. And so I think, I think even Tom, you and I, as we've kind of become more and more familiar with this, with this world, like I've never had anybody tell me after their spouse died, right? Um, man, he just had way too much life insurance. I, I, I just, I wish he didn't have that. Like, I've never heard that. Like, so like when we buy insurance, people are always thinking like, let me buy the insurance with the mindset of this is never going to happen as opposed to having the mindset of if this does happen, what do I want the result to be? Like, because we, at the end of the day, we don't know if our spouse is going to die prematurely. And so when it comes to even life insurance, how much life insurance do you need? No, let's again, remove that word need, replace it with the word want. How much life insurance would I want if my spouse died? Another example, as I'm sitting here thinking about this is that even with disability insurance, it's just a question to ask yourself. And I remember having a conversation not too long ago with someone about this, their expenses are 10,000 their coverage was 3000. And the, the question is here, okay, well, you have 3000. It's like, well, they, they say, well, that's how much I need for, I don't know, I purchased at the time, because that's what they said I needed to do. I needed to buy a life, uh, disability insurance. But then it comes under the question of asking, well, your expenses, like if you buy disability insurance, do you want it to just cover part of your expenses? Do you want it to pay for all of your expenses? Do you want to have the ability to keep saving money? Like, what do you want from that? And that should help really drive the decision that you're making because the ultimate goal with even buying insurance in the first place is to help remove risk off of you. So then you can be able to say, hey, if any of these events happen, all the things that I'm planning for and that I'm hopeful for in the future can at least come to reality as best as possible. The second question that we find that a lot of people are not asking or have never been asked is how much money are you saving as a percentage of your income? This is like a big, like people looking at us like deer in the headlights half the time because they're like, well, I'm saving money. Uh, and this is something you even ask yourself right now. Like, do you know how much you're actually saving as a percentage, not a number, but a percentage? Some people say like, well, I'm maxing out my 401k. I go, okay, you're maxing it out. So that's the, so the max this year is 22,500. They go, wait, what? No, I'm not putting that much in there. I'm like, well, you just said you're maxing out your 401k. They're like, oh no, no, I'm maxing it out to get the match. Right? I'm putting in the, the, the mm-hmm. 5% to get the 4% or whatever the match is, right? So that even even those terms for people, they struggle with because they don't know that like the max, the actual max 
for a 401k per year is $22,500. And so when we ask people, what are you, how much money as a percentage of your income, that's critical because you know what, you can save $20,000 a year and that can be a significant amount of your, of your income, or you can save $20,000 a year. And it's like 1% of your income, right? So it, it, mm -hmm. it, it, and if you expect to, at some point in the future, be able to stop working and live the lifestyle that you're working or that you're living on today, well, you're going to need to be saving 20% or more of your income consistently over time in order to build enough wealth. And this is especially true if you got out of school with you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of student loans. This is especially true if you're never going to receive an inheritance from your parents. This is especially true if you started from mm -hmm. effectively zero right after you got out of college with, with almost no assets, maybe a checking and a savings account. So Again, we tell people 20%. Most people are actually saving about 4% of their income. That's that's the, the Federal Reserve right. economic data statistic. Um, so, you know, just nationally. So I think it's really important to know as a percentage, how much are you saving of, and, and Tom, I know you make this point especially true. Every presentation I ever see you do on savings, you always highlight there's two different types of savings. There's savings that you eventually spend, right? If you save $100,000 and you spend $100,000 on a Tesla, mm -hmm. That, like you didn't, you didn't take a loan on it. You just gave Tesla a hundred grand for the car. Well, that's like, that's savings to spend versus like savings that gets put to work for you to generate income in the future or to earn or to, or to actually earn and grow today. Right. Two, two different types of savings there. Right. And what we've noticed from our history and experience of working with different people, most people live off about 30% of their gross income. So think about it statistically, if you save five or 4% and your goal is to continue to live off of 30% in the future, what are the possibilities of that happening? And you might talk with, if you're someone that's closer to retiring right now, you might be feeling the crunch. If you're someone that has a ways away, it might be something you start having conversations with people around that are closer to retiring because by default, the default answer we always hear is, well, my mortgage is paid. I'll live off less. I don't have to. I don't. I don't need as much income. Again, going back to that earlier, I don't need it. But however, it's like, what if you want to maintain the same lifestyle you have? What if you want to keep doing the things you want to do? And and this is the question that you should really take seriously when you're looking at your plan. Your finances shouldn't take a backseat. Most people find their finances to be incredibly important, but knowing where to start is tiring and overwhelming. Our mission is to make things simpler to understand and put the pieces together so you can spend more time doing what you enjoy with life. We created a five-part course that walks through the five foundational steps that clients experience when working with us, and you can access those at no cost right now through our website. Each video is 20 minutes in length and breaks down the most important parts of your finances. If you're interested to watch this or in the future, visit the link in the description of this podcast or go to the link series.flvetadvisors.com. The third question that we oftentimes ask people that they literally like, like we're talking no clue deer in the headlights stare that we get from people. Mm -hmm. If you pay the minimum on your debt, how long will it take until you're debt free? Now, what's funny about that is people, they zoom past any answer whatsoever. And I, I find that oftentimes they go to well, my student loans are X. Well, my credit cards are Y. Well, my car loan is, right? And, and I, think, I think my car loan is going to be done in six years or five years or four years. Like they, people oftentimes have no idea as far as what kind of time frame. Like if they pay the minimum on all their debt, what is the date in the future that they become debt-free, assuming that they don't take on more debt? Before and we think, when we think about debt, there's multiple different categories, especially when you are 
a veterinarian, you might have come out of school, depending on where you went to school, with 100,000, 200,000, maybe even more than that in student loans if you're in one of the island schools. And when it comes to paying off debt, of course, you might end up paying the minimum on it. And it's already come to the reality for a lot of people where I might not ever be able to repay this because once your income to your debt ratio is at least one to two times. So if your debt is two times what you actually make to be able to save money and live your life and do all the things you want to do, it becomes very challenging because otherwise you're having to make tremendous sacrifices in one area or the other. And so student loans is one part. If you do pay the minimums on it and you're in certain circumstances, you might be able to repay it. And then sometimes you might not be able to. So it's getting a realistic hold of that. But when we do think of other loans, credit cards, car loans, personal loans, mortgages, like there's some that are fixed in nature. And when I mean fixed, that there is a certain payment you make every single month, like a car loan. Every month you keep paying that car loan, it's going to be paid off in five years, six years, seven years. It's going to be paid off. It's absolute certain. But a credit card, on the other hand, uh, those are something that could just kind of sit there and hang out forever, especially when you keep charging more money on them, because ultimately what's happening is, well, you're paying it off and then putting more money on it. And it's like this constant revolving loop of never being. So then people are constantly just throwing more and more towards their debt all the time without truly understanding where is like, where is that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that they're looking for? uh, Because they just keep doing it and they never seem to have any progress or get ahead of it. Well, I think it's important. Like when you think of paying the minimums, knowing just what kind of schedule that is. And then if you put an extra X amount of dollars towards it, mm-hmm. like how, how much sooner is that payment going to eventually be eliminated? And recognizing that when you're putting extra payments towards debt, knowing full well what kind of opportunity you may be leaving on the table, mm-hmm. one. Great thought. Right, or even two, understanding like, at what point are you gonna break even? Like, okay, so you pay off your mortgage. Well, then what? Well, then you you know, then you are allowed to have less income in the future, theoretically. Uh, you know, although even though your mortgage goes away, your taxes never go away. Mm-hmm. Your insurance probably, I, I hope you keep homeowner's insurance even after your mortgage is paid off. And just, I think people just need to really play around with the idea of, you know, how if I do nothing else, if I pay, if I make no extra payments to my debt whatsoever, what is that day in the future that I become financially independent from debt? Because debt free doesn't necessarily mean financially free. I think we've covered that in multiple uh, right. uh, episodes here, but I think I think that that question is oftentimes completely overlooked. Mm-hmm. the The fourth question that we have for you today, and this is a big one because so many people start doing this without actually thinking about okay, what is the approach that I'm taking. And the question is, what philosophy should be used when you invest money? Did, did you even know there was a philosophy? <laughs> yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Like, a lot of people are like, there's a philosophy? Like, I thought you just, like, put money in the account, it grows. Like, people think, like, well, my 401, I've heard people say, my 401k is not risky. And it's like, well, how, hold on a second. <laughs> what? Your 401k is an account. Your 401k is an account. The things that you choose inside your 401k are what's going to be risky or not. Right. So do you have stocks? Do you have bonds? Do you have investment real estate? Like what, what do you have? So the three type, the three there's, so there's like, there's probably like 70 philosophies behind investing, but there's really three main ones. There's conventional, there's indexing, and then there's structured, right? Those are the three main philosophies that we find that are out there and, and depending, and obviously the details matter. So conventional branches off into multiple different sub philosophies and indexing. And, and conventional is like one of the ones that's been around the longest. 
And, and really the type of philosophy that you choose is multidimensional. The first thing you have to recognize is what is the mm-hmm. purpose for the money that you're investing? Because you might be investing for college versus investing for retirement, right? So what is the purpose of it? And then the That's method right. in which we go about and the philosophy that we take on from an investment perspective might depend more on what's available to you. Because I can tell you right now, there are some people that come to us and they have enough money to really do a little bit of all three. And they have specific purposes for their money that makes sense to do all three. There are some people that come to us and they have almost not a lot of money and they really are forced to do, really do one of the of the three right because philosophically the purpose of the money and 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 historically speaking when you look at conventional indexing and structured there are there are different ways that those per- portfolios are are structured in order uh to either position for growth or position for income so it's really good to kind of take a step back what philosophy are you using when you're investing money what philosophy should you be using and like do you even know what your money's invested now? Like if, if I looked at your portfolio, I can tell you pretty quickly, if I look at ticker symbols and, and I, and I Google a ticker symbol of a mutual fund, or if, if I look at a structured structured portfolio, I can tell you pretty quickly whether, what type of philosophy, what kind of stance it takes based upon what it's invested in and, and how the, how the portfolio is structured. And the last and fifth question that we have here today is, this is a big one, especially depending on what phase of life that you're in at the moment, is what's your plan on how you're going to get income from all of these investments that you created when you do decide to retire? And the, the default plan that we see a lot of people when they actually go to take this step is that they will take everything they have and then they will invest it. And then the goal is that it earns some kind of growth interest, or maybe there's dividends. There's some stocks out there that will pay a return to them as like the the business grows, they start paying them part of their profits. And basically over time, they're relying on that for income and maybe real estate. So like practice owners, we talk to a lot of the time, they retain their commercial real estate for retirement purposes, or maybe you're a person who's bought multiple, a portfolio of real estate and trying to use that for your income purposes. And their entire plan becomes dependent on a lot of variables they cannot control, such as like, are they going to have renters? Is the economy going to produce the way they're anticipating? Is the dividend going to be the same over time? Are they going to keep being able to pull the same amount of interest from there? Is there certain health expenses that they can account for and prepare themselves for by having to rely on that bucket of money to provide interest? Is there going to be enough interest to pay for those things in the event that happens? Or if the market goes down, well, what happens next? Like your money goes down and you still need income. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. Other than, other than having to sell things at a loss and realizing those losses and then, you know, adding insult to injury, because now you've got to spend that money that once you spend it on your lifestyle, Mm -hmm. it's gone forever. So I don't think most people don't realize that there's multiple ways to get income from your investments when you retire. And there are definitely multiple strategies on how you how you position assets. And you don't even have to necessarily have all of those things figured out when you're like 30. But f- to a certain degree, you you know, you know always have to keep the end in mind knowing exactly where you're putting money today. And as you're putting money away in these different buckets today, how is that going to you know provide for options and flexibility in the future for you to be able to shift around your portfolio and maximize the potential income that comes from the savings and the investing that you've done for the last 20 or 30 years whenever you retire? We hope you liked this episode and that you found that these five questions were intriguing. 
we do really care about all those people that listen to us. And one thing that you can really help us out with today is by taking this episode and sharing with at least one of your close friends or colleagues and let them be able to experience these same five questions themselves. And if maybe you have a couple other people you want to share with this wall, that would be great. Uh, but we do, we really could use your help with spreading the word of our show. This is CJ Burnett. And I'm Tom Seco. Wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. CJ Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Venture Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purposes only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by park avenue securities guardian or florida veterinary advisors and opinions stated are their own this material is intended for general use by providing the content park avenue securities llc and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity all investments contain risk and may lose value past performance is not a guarantee of future results the individuals associated with florida veterinary advisors do not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to veterinary professionals florida veterinary advisors is not registered in any state or with the u.s Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023159576 expires August 2025.